Hey guys, welcome back to the Allergic to Grace podcast. I'm Victoria. And I'm Whitney. We're so glad you joined in to listen today. Don't forget to follow the show wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you like our content, please rate and review. We'd love to hear your feedback. So today we're going to be talking about Genesis chapters 16 through 18. But to pick up where we left off, let's quickly recap what we talked about last week in Genesis chapters 11 through 15. So Genesis chapters 11 through 15 started out with the Tower of Babel, the dispersion and confusion that came from that. Shams descendants to Terah, which led to Abram, Haran, and Nahor. The call of Abram to the land that God would show him. Lot and Abram separated. Drama in Egypt. Lot gets in trouble and Abram rescues him. Um, and that was basically it, right? Yeah. So I think we should do this before we jump into today's episode. We just want to have a small disclaimer. Please be advised that today's episode content may not be appropriate for all listeners. So we left off in chapter 15 by God guaranteeing his promises and covenant with Abram. Um, From there, we get to see Sarai in a bit more detail than before. So if you don't remember, Sarai is the wife of Abram. And in chapter 16, we can see her true colors, right, Whitney? I think so. (laughs) So chapter 16 opens by pointing out that Sarai has yet to give Abram children. And so I think in the beginning of this chapter, what we see is Sarai, I hate to say the word giving, but that's what it says that she does. She gives Abram her servant, her maidservant, to be his wife. Um, And so I had two questions kind of about this. And if we have to go back, we can... My first question is, what did she think was going to (laughs) happen? Like, was this a thing that they did? And second, was this her not only feeling the pressure of giving Abram an heir or son, um, but also, too, that she keeps hearing God say or God tells Abram, you know, you're going to have a son and you're going to be the father of all the nations. And so was she getting impatient and she decided to attempt to take things into her own hands? Okay, so I'm going to start by answering the second part of that first. Um, Yes, she was being very impatient. And I think even in today's world, we feel that we can take things into our own hands, um, like we have any sort of control over anything. Um, And I feel like that's what she was doing. To answer the first part, was it a thing? Yeah, it was. Um, So there's been a lot of other documentation in Near Eastern countries or areas that it's another form of surrogacy, almost, if you want to put it into, like, today's terms. Yeah, So that makes sense. Hagar, I don't know if I'm saying that right. It's Hagar. Some people say, how do you say it? I say Hagar. Hagar. Um, she was a maidservant. So these maidservants were only given to people or people who had them were well off. They were rich. They had you know, everything. So the maidservant was kind of like the wife's right hand. Like 
They helped in the house. They did everything like that. And sometimes when the wife either A, didn't want to carry a child or couldn't, they would offer their maidservant so that they would have children to take care of. What? Okay, so next question. Maybe you're going to get to this and I'm jumping the gun. So you said, you know, it was like a form of surrogacy and that type of thing. So when the maidservant were to have this child, Mm -hmm. would the maidservant and the husband raise this child? Or was Sarai or whoever, in any case, is the wife, would take the child from the maidservant and then raise it as their own and the maidservant have no part of it. Yeah. Um, Part B to that is the answer. Um, Because in the text, it says, you know, Sarah goes to Abram and says, take my maidservant as your wife so that I, I may have a child by her. And so Abram does that. And, and I think it's interesting that they say wife, take her as your wife. Because one, I had a lot of questions like, isn't that adultery? I don't understand polygamy is not supposed to be a thing. But there's different levels of wives. So Hagar is technically like a concubine or a prostitute, um, even though she was a servant in the house. Um, So Sarai has the authority over any other quote-unquote wives that Abram would have taken. So even in her death, when Abram remarries, Sarai still has the head wife status, even though she's no longer with him. And I just want to point out, too, really quickly, that my Bible and the study slash reference portion does make a note and make it clear that the Bible does not encourage polygamy yeah it doesn't so i just want to circle back a little bit to hagar and who she was so she was the egyptian maidservant um which i thought it was interesting that she was egyptian so like when did they get her yeah was she part of that whole dowry yeah Mm -hmm. drama in egypt yeah whenever they left or was hagar part of their i don't know family or group because remember too just when you were saying you know maid servants were part of a family or with people who had lots of money yeah Yeah. that abram was for lack of a better term loaded (laughs) no he was so they definitely had the money for it yeah um like i said earlier hagar was a helper to Sarai within the home. You know, if she had had children, Hagar would have been the one to nanny them and take after them. She probably is the one that does the cooking, the cleaning, whereas Sarai is probably the one that does the planning of it all. Um, she's like the head maid. Head maid? You know how in like rich families they had like the head butler? That's exactly and, like, what I thought of. She's like, like a lady's head, maid. A lady's maid. Basically, exactly the for same lack thing. of a better term. Yep. Except in those times when those rich people had headmaids, they did not give them to their husbands to have children. With <laughs> <Yeah>. them. <laughs> um, but likely because of their wealth and status, this is why they had so many personal servants and workers mm-hmm. to upkeep their estate, basically. Yeah. So Hagar is to Sarai 
like Abram is to Eliezer. So I don't know if I'm saying that right. But you remember when Abram's basically complaining to God that he doesn't have any offspring and his household is going to go to Eliezer. Mm-hmm. That's like yeah. his head guy. Yeah. So like he doesn't have any offspring, so it would go to his head servant. Yeah. So that's kind of the relationship between Sarah and Hagar and like the overall makeup of the house. Yeah. Um, but yeah, she was uber impatient and wanted children. And I guess, I mean, you hear many people saying they're promising you these things. You want them now. Kind of like how I don't order anything from it anywhere else besides Amazon because I can't do it with the (laughs) Exactly. You want it and we want it now. Now. So, So then my next question is, I was thinking about this in addition to like Sarah saying, okay, well, being impatient about not having children. Then in turn, I was also thinking, well, did she also think that maybe Abram could be part of the problem and that if Hagar couldn't conceive, it would be the type of affirmation that she would need to know, okay, so it's not me. I mean, that's a good question. Um, it was just something that crossed my mind as I was reading it because I was trying to look at it from all angles. Yeah. Well, when we first hear Sarah or Sarai, um, when Abram takes her as his wife, the first thing out of the Bible's mouth is that she's barren. So, so was it like, a that's known? A des- it's a describing feature yeah, of her. But also, too, when it was written, they knew that she was barren because she couldn't it had already it. passed. Yeah. Anyway. True. I don't know. So this I, whole chapter here with the maid servant and everything just sends off the bells and the alarms in my head from that show, Handmaid's Tale, and I, I can't watch it. I can't it. deal. I can't, I can't watch it. It's a, it's a okay show. Show. Um, it's intense, but anyway, um, I just have written all over my notes that Abram he listens to his wife and takes Hagar as his other wife, I guess, and has a child through him, her. Um, and I'm like, why? Isn't isn't that adultery? Like, yeah. Mm-hmm. Why? Why? But I also think it's kind of funny that we kind of know this is wrong to do because God has promised that He's going to bring a son through Sarai, and. It specifically points out that Abram listens to his wife, kind of like Adam listened to his wife. Like, why is it that everything that bad happens in the Bible comes from a woman? (laughs) I don't get it. Why does it have to be pointed out? (laughs) You know? But anyway. They have free will. They could have said no. I know. But I mean, if your wife is standing there being like, hey, go do this to this girl so I can have a kid, are you going to say no as a man? Probably not. (laughs) Right? I mean, in all seriousness. Because because he probably want a kid, too. Especially if, too, you're saying that this was just commonplace, that this was not out of the ordinary, that if you couldn't conceive children yourselves, then you would go to the next step. Yeah. You know, just kind of like adoption, I guess, also. Yeah, I mean, he did. I guess, no. But anyway. Anyway. It's a form of surrogacy. Yeah. In their eyes. Yeah. um, Here. So... Abram goes and knocks up Hagar, um, and that's how we come to... <laughs> what? 
So Hagar is able to conceive. <laughs> yes, Hagar is able to conceive uh, by Abram. Um, and in seeing that she conceived, Sarah kind of comes to the realization that, oh, well, maybe it was me. Yep. Going back to that whole thing. And so um, we see tensions rise in the household. So it says in verse four, and he went into her and to Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. So I'm not going to lie. I had to go and look up what contempt mean <laughs> meant. Yeah. And it says, the feeling that a person or a thing is beneath consideration, worthless, or deserving scorn. So basically, she was like, ha ha, I got pregnant. I'm better and you than why do I have to listen to you? I'm right. the one that's going to bring Abram's son into the world. Like, mm-hmm. who are you right now? Yep. So that's exactly what happened. She started to get this defiant attitude. Probably arrogant. Arrogant. Like. Towards her mistress, who she's supposed to report to and respect. And every Does helps her with every, you know, day-to-day things. Think about the amount of time that the two of them were spending together. Mm. every day i just hear cat claws you know like (laughs) and think about the amount of emotion that sarah's probably feeling anger sadness regret jealousy yeah like oh i mean she made her own bed yeah but at the same time like i said i was trying to think about it from all angles and the first question that i had in remark regards to this chapter was what did she think was going to happen? Right. But I guess when you just want what you want and you see other people doing it, and if these emotions and things and the way you're feeling are behind closed doors, then how would you know that it's going to hurt? Yeah. You know? Yeah. True. And I'm sure other people had probably had better experiences with conceiving through a maidservant yeah. than she, because yeah. Hagar is is known for her defiant attitude and spirit, basically, because yeah. it's kind of like with Ishmael, they're just saying, well, which one of his offsprings is going to inherit their grandmother's defiant spirit? So yep. basically, Hagar had a pompous attitude towards Sarah and just blatantly disrespected her. Yeah. And so naturally, the tensions are high and, Hacker becomes more and more defiant, and Sarah basically blames the whole thing on Abram. Yeah. So that's what I have in my head. And Sarah confronts Abram. Right. Like, you just listened to me and did everything I asked you to do, but now I'm in a tough position and then it's your fault. Yeah. And he pretty much says, Well, she's your maidservant. Yeah. You deal with it. Well, I said, Abram told Sarai, remember who you are. You are the head of the household. She's your servant. Do with her as you please. Like, this is not my problem. You created this mess. Remember who you are and put her in her place. Yep. (laughs) So that's sort of what she does. She deals harshly with Hagar, so much so that Hagar runs away. So Hagar runs away, and when she reaches a certain point, I don't remember exactly where, but an angel of the Lord appears to her. Yep. And this is a messenger angel, which 
in that lecture series I was listening to by R.C. Sproul about angels and demons, the messenger angels are one of the highest tiered. Mm -hmm. So whatever they say is the word verbatim, the word of God. Mm -hmm. And so he appears to Hagar and he says to her. I have a note about that. What? The angel of the Lord. My Bible says something interesting. It says, according to some scholars, the angel of the Lord appears in many instances to be a theophany or a visual manifestation of God himself. Mm-hmm. Um, and it says, through the angel of the Lord is sometimes distinguished from God in other cases. Haggard's remarks in verse 13 imply that she has seen God. That's interesting though, yeah. about the messenger Very possible. angels. Very possible. So the angel of the Lord appears to Hagar um, and says, basically, I see you. Yeah. I know what you're going through because keep in mind, too, we have a personal God. And so he says, I see you. I'm going to take care of you. Go back. Yep. And says- submit to your to your mistress. Mm-hmm. I like that verse because the Lord has listened to your affliction. Yeah. That's verse 11. But the angel of the Lord comes, basically says, I know you're pregnant. You're going to have a son. You're going to name him Ishmael. You need to go back home and submit to your mistress. Um, Have the kid and God sees you, basically. So even while she's lost. Yeah. So I just want to talk about number one. We don't know the age of Hagar, but we know Abram was 86. I know the amount of energy that it takes to be the mother or a parent at a much younger age than 86. I can't imagine being a parent of a brand new baby at 86 or 87. Well, I mean, keep in mind too that people live to their 200s. So he was about 50 in our terms. Even still. Yeah. For a 50-year-old to have a brand new baby. I mean, that's me. I'm trekking on that track. Yeah, that's that's okay. (laughs) And also, too, I know as a mother myself how much of a gift that Ishmael must have been to Hagar. Not that I'm making making excuses for her attitude and the way that she treated Sarah and things. But just to know how much that baby meant to her, especially, I'm sure, feeling like it was her against Abram and Sarai. Yeah. And I think, I don't know, because like after Ishmael's born, you can tell that Abram takes him as his son because he is. But Sarai doesn't, it, it doesn't really say her relationship with Ishmael because Hagar runs away yet again with him yeah, later, later on. on. So like, yeah. That's what I mean. Maybe she was being the mother and Sarah was just kind of like, well, that happened. I'm just going to ignore it. Yeah. Yeah. And yes, Abram does publicly acknowledge Mm -hmm. his relationship and, you know, gives him the name Ishmael and things. So I wonder if it was the fathers that named their children, if it was the mothers. So also, too, in that lecture series, R.C. Sproul touches on that because we see in a lot of the messenger angels, like the Gabriel that appeared to Mary, mm-hmm. named her baby or yeah. said you're to call your baby this. And then this angel also named 
Hager's baby. And typically, yes, I believe it was the father that named the baby because naming the baby, and it just goes to show the significance of God naming Ishmael and Jesus, um, is because naming a child shows who has authority over that child. So showing that God named Ishmael, God named Jesus, mm-hmm. God has authority over them. Doesn't he name Isaac too? Yes, he does. Yeah, I know those were just the only two examples I could think of off the top of my head. Yeah. But yeah, he names, yes. So for Abram to publicly acknowledge Ishmael and then also call him Ishmael Mm -hmm. shows that he acknowledged him as his son. Yeah. Despite the situation. He is. Like he's. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's not any different than it is today. Like that's your baby. Oh my gosh. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, seriously though. So anyway, um, so yeah, Hagar returns home. She bears Abram a son, calls him Ishmael, and you're right, he was eighty six. I mean, like you said, yeah, probably like in comparison fifty next fifties now. But still, like you figure, speaking in now terms, when a child graduates school, high school is typically 18. That would put him at like almost 70. Yeah. So. Well, I don't know, because people got married and had kids like way younger. Yeah, that's true, too. Then, because wasn't Mary like 14? She was like 14. Yeah. Mary. Joseph, I think, was probably like in his 30s. 30s. Yeah. Anyway. Anyway, moving on to chapter 17, unless you have anything else on 16. Nope, that was it. So this is the disclaimer part. Um, Moving into chapter 17 with Abram and the covenant of circumcision. Yes. So we're all adults here, hopefully. Um, If any people who are not an adult are listening. Laugh about it and say what you want. We're not recording it. Anyway, anyway, (laughs) so moving on to Abram and the covenant of circumcision. In chapter 17, it opens when Abram was 99 years old. So how much time is that? Seven years? Nope, that's wrong. 13. (laughs) 86 to 99. It's 13. 13 years. 13 years old, Ishmael is now a teenager or I don't know. When do they consider you to be a man? He's probably considered to be of like adult-ish age. Were they technically considered Jewish? I don't know, because when did that... I don't They're know. Hebrew. Because Abram, in our last episode, was described as being Hebrew. Anyway. Interesting. Um. Anyway, yes. Abram's 99 years old. The Lord appears to him and says, I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless, that I make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Okay, so before we get too much further, I kind of want to talk about this be blameless and this blamelessness, because I know we touched on it briefly when we talked about Noah, because he was also thought to be blameless and this was kind of like a hang up for me because mm-hmm. blameless does not mean sinless yeah so i'm like okay well if it's not sinless 
and it's not perfection because we know the only perfect man was Jesus, then what exactly is this? So I did do some research on it so I could grasp in my mind what this meant, because how Mm -hmm. can you be sinless but not be perfect? So basically what it means is to be free of willful sin. So sin that you choose or you're consciously aware of. Mm -hmm. And so to be blameless means to not willfully sin, basically. So that just kind of helped me understand. So like, to me, that would be why like, children are considered to be blameless, you know, that kind of thing, because you're not not to say that they can't willfully sin. But Mm -hmm. for the most part, they don't willfully or intentionally sin, like gossiping, cursing, blaspheming, not loving your neighbor, that type of thing. Yeah. My Bible says, on the walk before me and be blameless part. It says, these phrases denote the service due to a king. Even Israel's kings were commanded to walk before their greater sovereign, the Lord himself. The covenantal arrangement against services, God's gracious promises call for the obedient response of Abram. Yes. So that makes sense. Yep. So So we're kind of, go ahead. No, go ahead. We're kind of entering into a quote-unquote new covenant. Exactly, exactly. And so to me, I also, and you may have points on this also, why it's new or why it's different is we are now seeing the covenant go from being unilateral to now God requiring something of Abram. Because keep in mind, thus far, God has promised him offspring, he has promised him land, and has asked or required nothing of him. And now God is calling him to walk before him and be blameless. Mm -hmm. So the new covenant, again, if you have other points stop me or if we need to go back or whatever but the this new covenant contained or contains several parts um he promises him promises him descendants among them priests kings great men he promises him land um that he showed him he promises that it will be everlasting that it will even carry through not only to Abram, but also to all of Abram's offspring and last forever. Mm -hmm. So to me, this is God's way of saying that he's always going to be there. Yeah. The part in my study Bible about the covenant and being that you made a good point about how he hasn't asked Abram to do anything yet, but hold to his law, basically. Yeah. Um, It says the covenant relationship between God and Abram includes both promises obligating God to Abram and commands obligating Abram and Sarah to God. This pattern of mutual obligation is not a relationship of equal parties as in human contract. Rather, God sovereignly bestows the covenant, gives the grace of faith and obedience to the elect, and graciously provides the remedy for human disobedience. Says the history of the covenant of circumcision in the Old Testament is largely one of human failure to fully obey the covenantal requirements. 
Nevertheless, the gracious covenant of God remains faithful to his promises, even when human beings are faithless. Yes. Interesting. Mm-hmm. So like this like new addition is just because they failed to have faith in him, basically, right? Yeah, I think so. And I think multiple times we see that he mm-hmm. lied in Egypt. Yeah. He... Sarah. Ha- I was going to say, just had another son. Um, So in this, God says, you know, keep my covenant, which in Hebrew means to guard, to heed to, to follow. So he changes his name. Yes, he does change his name from Abram to now Abraham. Yep. So before his name, Abram meant exalted father. Whereas now his new name, Abraham, means a father of a multitude of nations, which is fitting. Absolutely. Why do you think he Why do you changed think he did his it? name to that? <laughs> That's yes. a great question. Why did he change his name? So I don't know if this is the, you know, like an official answer or anything. Obviously not because I'm answering it. But anyway, um, not only do I think changing his name represents a new start mm-hmm. and so a, a new start a new covenant like we're erasing starting clean mm-hmm. but also too then because his name means father of many nations anytime anybody now says abraham's name it is a verbal reminder mm-hmm. of the covenant that God made with him. Yeah. And so every time he hears his name, he should caution, consciously think, well, my name was Abram, but God promised you know, mm-hmm. me this, and he changed my name to Abraham. And so to me, it will be a reminder of who I am and who I am to God. Because to be the father of all nations of the earth, mm-hmm. For God to allow or to give Abram that title, mm-hmm. like how highly would God have to think of someone to do that? Yeah, because yeah. he does it. He changes Abram's name to Abraham, Sarai's name to Sarah. Yep. He changes Jacob's name to Israel. Jesus does it in the New Testament with his, his disciples. disciples. Yep. Changes Simon to Peter, Levi to Matthew. So, like, I just. I was like, there has to be some sort of significance behind the God of the universe changing your name specifically. To me, I think it's just a reminder. Mm. Like, it would be a reminder to anybody who knew them before and to them, of course, themselves, but also, too, to show a new beginning. Because think about especially Jesus' disciples, tax collectors, Mm -hmm. you know, having their name changed, that they're no longer living that life and they're now living a new life with Christ. Yeah, I think I got it. You know how you said before, it's the man of the household, the father, that gives a name to the child Uh because they have authority. Exactly. So it's God showing his rule over his people. His authority, yeah. And calling them to a new destiny or a new mission. Exactly. Like that's the exactly tax collector it. to yeah. a disciple. That's exactly Boom. it. That's exactly Shh. it. Revelation. Connecting the dots. What, what? So. Anyway. Yes. They change their names. God changes Abram to Abraham. Um, he doesn't change Sarah's name until a little, a little later. bit later. 
But anyway, the, he eventually changes Sarai's name to Sarah. To Sarah. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he goes into the new covenant. Yes, he's how they're basically what is going to be the sign of the new covenant, mm-hmm. which is circumcision. He says in verse 11, you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. So to me, initially, when you first read this, like my thought was, I feel like that's so random. <laughs> like it makes why? Of all the things. And then we, uh, Victoria and I had discussed this a little bit earlier in the week because I was just like, okay, I mean, I understand that he said do it, so we're going to do it. I mean, at that time, we are as an Abram and his people, not, you know. Mm -hmm. But to me, I'm like, okay, but that's so random. That makes no sense to me. Yeah. Um, I, too, thought that. Um, So the Old Covenant believers consecrated to God with the cutting of their foreskins, their organ of procreation. Yeah. So God has always wanted the heart consecrated to him. Mm-hmm. Um, but this mere circumcision in the flesh is inadequate to please God. That's ultimately why it's moved from the old covenant to the new covenant with yeah. Jesus Christ. Yeah. So it's basically a shedding of blood for your sins to show that you were a part of God's covenant with him. I did have a point that I didn't even think about until just now. What about women? Women don't have penises. No, but I, I can't remember if it's in the old Testament or the new Testament. It does talk about that. If your spouse is in the covenant, then you are also in the covenant. But then that also means that you are upheld the covenants i guess quote-unquote standards yeah so then you too because your husband who Mm -hmm. you're to submit to and is to be the head of household and everything is part of the covenant then you too are part of the covenant thus you all follow the laws of god and be blameless and so to me circumcision circumcision Words are hard. <laughs> circumcision. I'm leaving that in there. <laughs> they are. Circumcision um, was a symbol or a sign or a physical thing that you could see to represent like a cleanliness, um, God's brand or showing ownership over the male reproductive organ. God also provides signs for reminders to show things. The rainbow after mm-hmm. the flood, the yep. promise, the covenant he made with Noah, um, the bow in the sky, the Sabbath day, and to keep it holy, the blood over the Israelites' doors for the Passover, mm-hmm. um, which you know is later on in the Old Testament, and eventually in the New Testament, baptism. But remember that these are all just physical signs. Just because you're baptized or just because you're circumcised doesn't mean, okay, I'm good. That's it. They were just that. They were signs. Kind of like how when you're driving mm-hmm. and you see a sign on the road, okay, that's, I need to go, I need to get off here to get on 77 to go to the city, you know? Mm-hmm. So 
they're just that signs to point you in the right direction yeah my bible says this was a sign that abram and his offspring belonged to god and a seal of authenticity regarding god's promises yes so circumcision may seem like a strange thing to do, but it pointed towards something. Exactly. God promised to give Abraham offspring and God marked Abraham's body and circumcision to remind him that the offspring would come by God's supernatural power since Sarai was barren. Yes. Um, it also reminded God's people that blood must be shed to reconcile us to God because blood is shed in the act of circumcision. Later in the Bible, we learn that Jesus Christ suffered a bloody death so that we may be reconciled to God. Yep. Boom. That's exactly it. Signs. Signs. So, yeah. I thought it would be important to say that the covenant of circumcision is the old covenant. Yes. So, that is part of the covenant God made with Abraham. And after Jesus Christ, um, it is no longer the standard. Um, people may still choose to follow that covenant or whatever, yep. but the new covenant is now baptism. baptism. Yep. So both of them were a sign that you belong to God, right? Both of them are a sign. They are not secured salvation. So just yes. leading with that. <laughs> so then we see after, you know, Abram, is commanded to circumcise himself and any male within his household, whether his own or bought, is to be circumcised. Mm -hmm. And so when he is 99 and when Ishmael is 13, he does just that. They all get circumcised. Yeah. So then we go into Isaac's promised birth. Here basically see... You know, God say, you were Sarai, will your wife shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name and I will bless her. And moreover, I will give you a son by her. So he's saying it's still going to happen. Ishmael is not the promised offspring. He's, he says, I'll take care of Ishmael. He'll be the father of many nations, of princes, mm -hmm. but the promised child, the child that I choose is going to be the one that I give to you in my time yeah. through Sarah. Yeah. And it says, I, think, I like this part. It says, Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old? Shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? In that he didn't outwardly laugh at God, but he like, he doubted for a second. He was like, I'm so old. She's so old. Like, how? What? Um, this and wouldn't you? I mean, I would. Like, Definitely. Oh, yeah. Like, even people who are now days significantly younger than that in their 40s yeah. Yeah. are like, no, I, no, I'm not pregnant. Yeah. Yeah. You know? But then after he said that to himself, he said to God, oh, that Ishmael might live before you. So he's like, oh, I already have a son. Are you talking about him? And then God says, no, uh, but Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. So he's saying, Sarah's going to have a kid. You're going to call him this. I'm not talking about your other son that you had with Hagar. Um, but he said that he would establish his covenant with Isaac and for his offspring after him. And then he goes into talking about what he's going to do for Ishmael because he said 
I have heard you. Like I know that he too is your son and yep. I know that you're worried and you know, like I said, he said, Yes, I he will be the father of many nations, he will be the father of princes. But Isaac's my boy. Yeah. He's the one, he's the chosen one. He, so Yes. Verse twenty it says, As for Ishmael, I have heard you. I like that. I like it a lot. It says, Behold, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and multiply him greatly. Yes. And then he gives him a time. He says, Sarah, I shall bear you a son this time next year. Yep. So it's the first time that we actually have a deadline. So instead of being like, hey, you're 75, I'm going to give you a kid. And him being 99 and then coming to him and be like, I'm still going to give you a kid. He's like, this time next year, you will have a son. Yeah. So he didn't have to do that, but he did. Not at all. And I think this shows too how is faithful how is faith grown mm-hmm. in waiting. Yeah. You know? And think about how much Abraham's faith has matured as he's gone through his years wandering and all of that. Yeah, because think about where we were last episode when he was pretending that we're well, not pretending because Sarah is also is his sister, yeah. but that he was not married to her. Yeah. You know, so. He does and goes and does, he does that again. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. Anyway, another chapter for another day. Um, so after God ascends from Abraham, Abraham immediately goes, circumcises himself and all the males within his household that very same day. Ouch. Mm-hmm. That's all I have to say. Yep. Just the obedience that he has. It's incredible because think about it. Of all the things that you're told to do and then to go circumcise your penis Mm -hmm. and then to just do it. Like not put it off, not him haw around. Mm -hmm. No, we doing it. Yeah. And I read something somewhere that it was like every male within his household. So you had different ages, economic status, maturity levels of the people who were circumcised as part of God's covenant. Um, And I think that really reflects the type of people, the type of community we should see within the church now. Yeah. Um, But it did also point out something. It says, many like Ishmael are never circumcised in the heart, Even though in baptism they were set apart to the Lord, some will never come to a saving faith. As Matthew Henry comments, both under the old and the new dispensation, many have had the outward profession and the outward seal who are never sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise. Exactly. So Ishmael does end up being circumcised and being pulled into God's covenant, but he's the one that's never really sealed with that promise. Stamp of promise. Yes, because again, it's a sign it is simply that a sign it's not salvation nope it is a sign towards salvation Mm -hmm. so pointing you down the right path but it's up to you to to take it exactly exactly yep so that kind of ends chapter 17 with him circumcising himself and all the males in his house um and then 18 we kind of, I, there's not a timeline here. No, all. it doesn't say how long it was from the circumcision to when the Lord appeared yeah. to Abram under the yokes of, how do you say that? I'd say Miamir. Miamir. 
near here? Underneath the the trees. The trees. That's what that's what I'm gonna say. Yeah, the trees. Um, the trees. And the first question that came to my mind because it says Abram lifted Abraham, excuse me, lifted up his eyes and looked. Behold, three men were standing in front of him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself down to the earth and said, O Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. So he knew that these three men were the Lord and angels, two angels, because that's immediately what he did. He went and bowed down himself and said, please let me serve you. Do not pass by. Um, And as per custom, he shows a lot of hospitality towards them, but how did he know that it was God and two angels? Yeah. So two things. Number one, the Lord and the two angels. Are we seeing the Lord and the Trinity? Uh, um, and I then That's a, mm. the, the second thing, the Lord appears to Abram along with two other angels, you know, is this a trinity? And also, like you said, how does he know that this is the Lord? So my immediate thought was, well, when I was a baby, I didn't know my dad was my dad or my mom was a my mom. Mm-hmm. But I knew that they were my dad and my mom was my mom. So kind of like how did Hagar, you know, was it the Lord that appeared to her or was it an angel? Because do we not will we not just instinctively recognize our creator, you yeah. know? Yeah. Like, and so to me, I was like, oh, well, maybe he just knew him because, I mean, wouldn't we just know? Mm-hmm. And oh, I had to do research. So, but that's basically what all the sources say, that his response into the appearance of the three men suggests he instinctively knew that he was in the presence of God. And then it said, Abraham was well acquainted with the Lord because he had appeared to him on many different occasions. And so he had instantly recognized him. Absolutely. Um, But a good point that the article made was that God can even visit or send his heavenly messengers to help fulfill his plans. We may not always realize whom we are speaking with. So we should treat everyone as if they were on special assignment from God. And it's in Hebrews, it reminds us, do not forget to show hospitality to strangers, for by so doing, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. Mm -hmm. Like, love your neighbor. Oh, my goodness. Seriously. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But I thought it was cool that he just instinctively knew, ran down and washed their feet, gave them all of the good things that he had. Yeah. Uh, And two, I think we need to look at the significance of not like you said, like, well, I mean, like you said, him giving him all these, you know, the good things, but the best Mm -hmm. of what he had available to him in such a short amount of time. And also let's keep in mind, we don't know how old Abram is. We know, or I'm sorry, Abraham is, but we know that he's old because at the time that, God and he had this new covenant. He was 99, 100 years old. So he's older than that. And I was doing some research and things. And for a man in that culture of that age to be doing this type of stuff himself Mm -hmm. really speaks to Abraham's character, who he is, and how highly he thought of these three men. Yeah, makes sense. 
So he treats them with such hospitality. He himself washes their feet, gives them bread, cheese, milk, and fresh meat from a freshly killed calf. This is making me hungry. <laughs> okay. Um, and, the Lord <laughs> and the Lord tells him he will return to him within a year and he'll have a son by Sarah. Um, so, I mean, maybe it was shortly after that because he did tell him that That's Sarah true. will bear you a son this when time next, next year. year. Huh. That makes sense. I didn't put the two I didn't together, either. you know, I didn't but I mean, that makes sense. So yeah. it must have been shortly thereafter. Had to have been. Was Sarah currently pregnant and they didn't know it because you have to carry a child for nine months. Yeah. At least. Yeah. Um, so that's twice now that he has told him that he's going to have a son and given him a deadline. Um, but in saying this, Sarah is eavesdropping on the conversation on, on the other side of the tent between Abraham and the Lord. And um, before we get into the whole she laughs situation, <laughs> yeah, um, I just want to point out the verse where it says that the way of women was no longer with her. Yeah. And that she had gone through menopause. She could physically no longer have a child. Yeah. That also really stuck out to me as yeah. well. And it, it kind of parallels that God waited. He waited until she couldn't have a child anymore. She, she was barren from the start. So really, you know, in any sense, her having a kid would have been a miracle. Um, and it's everything he did was in his own timing. Um, so as it just always. further, as always, yeah. So it just further proves his power to his people, exactly. kind of like how Jesus waited with Lazarus to raise yep. him from the dead. Yes, like you said, those outward, um, what did you say a couple episodes ago? Those outward signs. Oh, yeah. Because it's more noticeable. Yeah, exactly. Because. Do you notice, you know, something that may be run of the mill that we don't recognize that probably is a miracle, but because we're so used to seeing it and mm -hmm. it is not as quote unquote dramatic, yeah. you know, whereas raising somebody up from the dead after they've been dead for three or four days or waiting until you're a hundred years old or more. To have a baby. Yeah. You know? For Sarah, a woman. Yeah. You know? And I think, too, part of that verse that also really stuck to me was that they said the way of the woman. So I think that that just really drives home how important it was for a woman to bear a child. Yeah. And at this point in Sarah's life, she hadn't. Yeah. I'm wondering if that came along with any social shame. I'm sure. Well, I mean, she gave her servant... Yeah. To be his wife in an effort for them to gain a child. Yeah. You know, I'm I'm sure that it did. Mm -hmm. um, how awful she must have felt about herself. And, you know, she probably felt like a failure. I'm sure. Yeah. So God asked, you know, where's Sarah? Where's your wife? Um, and he says, well, she's in the tent. And then he says, I'll return to you about this, this time next year. And Sarah, your wife, will have a son. And she was eavesdropping, and she laughed to herself, saying, After I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? And saying, My Lord is old, she's talking about Abraham. Abraham. Yeah. yeah. Um, 
And shall I have the pleasure? She's like, after I'm all old and worn out, dusty, crusty, you're going to give me a kid. <laughs> like she laughed to herself saying, this is impossible. Like, it's humorous to think that you're going to give me a kid. Yeah. And I uh, kind of before we get into the next verse and to how the Lord, the Lord is in God reacts, like just to set the picture a little bit, like they're up a little ways away from the tent so they're not like mm-hmm. in the tent with her she's off you know i'm sure it's some type of a distance and she laughed to herself so it had to have been you know pretty quiet just like <laughs> you know not like an like, outward <laughs> cackle oh you know <laughs> do you like that oh uh, yeah okay mm-hmm. anyway Yes, it's kind of like a little giggle, like after I'm already old and worn out and Abraham is old and crusty, <laughs> whatever. Um, yeah, the way that God reacts is, what did he say? Uh, why did Sarah laugh and say, shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? First of all, like how does... Can you imagine being Abraham, who I'm sure probably didn't hear Sarah laugh? Nope. But I'd then, be embarrassed. Be like, uh, she they, laughed? She laughed? Rude. Cut She's going to get a beating later. No. <laughs> so I was just thinking, I said, cut her down. <laughs> anyway. But yes, that verse is, I think, both one of our favorite verses. Yes. 14, is anything too hard for the Lord? Because, of course, like, to me, that's a rhetorical question. No. No. Like, nothing. Absolutely nothing. Right? If I, if I can, you know, create the entire earth, if I can flood the entire earth and recreate it, is it really impossible for you to think that... Look around I you. Could, Look at everything that you have in your day-to-day life. I did that. Is there anything impossible for the Lord? No. No. There's none. No. I created you from dust. Okay. Is yep. there anything too impossible? I can create <laughs> I light created in your dusty womb. <laughs> oh, from dust. <laughs> anyway. Okay. So, yes, she. He asked, "Why did your Why did your wife just life? <laughs> why did your wife? <laughs> this is This is too much. Why did your wife just laugh at me and say that?" And so Sarah just didn't believe in what the Lord had promised, and she just showed her lack of faith in that. And, you know, we as human beings, we do it all the time. Every day. All, all the, the time. time. Yeah. All the time. Absolutely. So what does he say? So, um, so then she, the Lord says, you know, is anything too hard for the Lord? And, and Sarah says what? She denied it. She, she was like, why I did you laugh? laugh? And she says, I did not laugh. No. You did laugh. He said, no, but you did laugh. I don't know why. To me, I just love that whole little section. Their their little quarrel right there. Yeah, because think about like, God could have been so much like, how dare you lie now and blah, blah. And he just said, no, but you did laugh. Okay, think about what he could have done. She blatantly broke a commandment given to her by God, thou shalt not lie, to his face. Yep. He could have smote her. 
smitten, smoke, whatever. Smoke. <laughs> struck her down. Go struck her down. <laughs> and because she's part of that promise, he doesn't. He gives yeah. her mercy. Yep, mercy. And says, no, but you did. No, but you did. It's okay. <laughs> no, he didn't say that. No, <laughs> he didn't say that. But but it is. I think in just seeing his reaction, he was like, no, but you did. And then they like, moved on. They were like, yeah. okay. Whatever. Okay. So then Abraham, being the good host that he is. Picked them up and said, let me take you away yeah, from this. That's my wife. <laughs> take you away from this lying woman. <laughs> is that too much? So, no, it's fine. It's okay. perfect. Anyway, I'll so, take care of her later. Mm. <laughs> so... The three men set out from there, and they looked toward Sodom. Do you remember Sodom? I do you remember, remember the Sodom. king of Sodom? I do. We kept that nugget in the back of our brain. We did. Yep. So, and they and Abraham walked with them as they went on their way. Um, and the Lord said to himself, I think he's saying to himself this next little part, but mm-hmm. it's in quotation, so he could have just said it out loud. I don't know. To the other two people. And if yeah. he was talking to himself, were the other, was it the Trinity? Because it's to himself. I, yeah. Yeah. I don't just know. Just saying. Anyway. Anyway. Carry on. says, shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do, seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and that all the nations of all the earth shall be blessed in him. So he's questioning to himself or to the other two angels that are with him if he should if if he should tell Abraham what he's about to do to Sodom. Um and let's also keep in mind that we're about to he's basically being he's being merciful. Yeah. Is what he's being to Abraham because let's also remember where did Abraham's nephew who he basically mm-hmm. Yeah adopted settle sodom as far north as sodom so and being that god is going to make abraham a great nation such a nation must learn god's justice because basically he's questioning whether or not he should make this as an example to abraham where you know you need to teach your children and your children's children to come up into the covenant to hold my promises to be obedient or else this is what could happen. So in holding Abraham in such high esteem, he reveals his plans to him. Mm -hmm. And this is where Abraham intervenes for the people of Sodom. And this could be one of the points where we could consider Abraham a prophet because one, God is telling him his plan and two, Abraham is interceding on the on behalf of the people. Yeah. So. Yeah. That's where. Very good point. Yep. So he says, you know, the Lord says, basically, I'm going to go see what this great outcry in the city is mm-hmm. and see if it is as terrible as this outcry is. And if it is, there's going to be a just punishment. Yeah. And going back to the outcry, so my Bible says, all cries of wrongdoing come to the attention of the judge of the earth, or God, because we know our God is a just God. Um, Despite the mercy shown to Sodom through Abraham, Sodom hasn't repented of their sins. So the sinfulness of Sodom is both proverbial and extensive, and it involves extreme 
displays of that sin. Yeah. Like, horribleness yeah. and the failure to show their appreciation of God, basically. Yeah. And I think, too, when you said, you know, about the outcry of the sin and God being able to hear it, like mm-hmm. when I heard, if I hear, if the outcry is as bad as I hear, um, it immediately made me think of back several chapters ago when Cain killed his brother Abel Mm -hmm. and God said to Cain, like he asked him, you know, where's your brother? He said, of course you had no mates, babysitter. (laughs) And God says, I can hear Abel's blood crying out to me from the ground. Mm. It's what it made me think of. Verse 20 is the one we're referring to here. It says, then the Lord said, because the the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great and their sin is very grave, I will go down to see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry that has come to me. And if not, I will know. Yeah. So the, the part in here that I got hung up on was the, to see whether they have done altogether. And so that, it just means... Or they deserve destruction. And in Hebrew, it's it means they have made a complete end. So it's like, I should see whether they have made a complete end or whether they deserve destruction in that kind of yeah. verbal whatever. It just doesn't make sense in English yeah. Yeah. to me. Yeah, it's another one of those things that we had talked about in the very first episode that sometimes through words that are used to translate it in English don't necessarily have a direct translation from yeah. Hebrew. Yeah. So the Lord says he'll, he intends to go down to the cities to see for himself if such an outcry is justified. Both of these are examples of God using human terminology to more clearly explain his message. So God already knows Everything that's going yep. on in Sodom and Absolutely Gomorrah. Does. God already knows that they deserve the judgment that's coming to them. Um, but he's going to go and, quote unquote, go look at the situation, mm-hmm. kind of like a parent does when you hear a crash from a child's bedroom. <laughs> I'm going to go look and see what happened. I already Even know what you know. happened. <laughs> yeah, that's a very good analogy. I like that. Yeah. That was good. Um, so obviously, being that Lot is in Sodom, Abraham is alarmed at hit God's plan. Yeah. And so that's what makes him intercede for the righteous on their behalf. I want to say that him interceding for the righteous wasn't a selfish decision. Um, I. But would he have done it if Lot wasn't there? I'm going to say probably not, because how could Abraham, if the if they were as wicked and everything... As that, how would he have not have known that Sodom and Gomorrah, Gomorrah are known for that, especially having met the king of of Sodom? Yeah. So I think he was basically saying like, "Please save my family." Yeah, is what it was, and I agree. You know, we can think that. Yeah, let's hope. But in in all honesty, he was mainly concerned about his. I wouldn't. Yeah, I was gonna say son, but. His adopted son, yeah, I guess. Anyway. So in interceding, Abraham starts with what? Like 50 righteous yeah, 50, people? 50 and righteous he's like, people. please, 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 if you can find 50 righteous people, don't destroy the city. And then he dwindles it down all yeah. the way to 10. 
Yeah. He said, if you can find 10 people, please don't just destroy the city. Yeah. And I think this, too, is a good example, because after each number, the Lord is like, yes, if I can find 50 righteous people, yes, I will save the city. And he says, "Okay, well, wait, 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 wait. What if there's 45? Mm -hmm. Yes. If there are 45 righteous people, I will save the city and so on and so forth. Five more minutes. Exactly. That's exactly what it is. Like we say we want instant gratification and then that'll be it. But then it's like, okay, Lord, I just need this. Well, then you get it. And then what do you want? Okay, well, Lord, if I could just have a little bit more. Mm -hmm. Well, if I could just have a little bit more. And every time our our God says yes to Abraham in this instance. The whole way down, he starts at 50 Mm -hmm. and goes the whole way down to 10. And it's kind of like we do this in our prayers and things i think frequently we ask we ask we ask we ask and the lord you know gives 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 but you're when i'm reading it and i'm like oh my goodness can you imagine talking face to face with god him agreeing to something and you're like well hold on but wait a minute i want more more okay but wait but what about this you know and i think too it shows god's mercy god's love and how personal he is because yeah you know, it establishes beyond a reasonable doubt the justice of God's judgment because he's willing to save the righteous few for the unrighteous majority. Yeah. Like he's. Yeah, like he, he was going to save the entire city for yes. 10 people. Save the sinful majority for yes. a few righteous. Exactly. That's what I meant to say. Yes, <laughs> I knew what you're saying. Yes. Yes. I, I mean, that's exactly it. Yes. So. In doing all of that, we just see God's mercy throughout it all. And I kind of want to take a moment to talk about when we said in earlier episodes about God's grace and about how in Cain's, you know, um, it's not execution. His exhalation. In his exile. In Cain's exile, we see God's grace in that he gave him the mark of Cain so nobody would hurt him. Really... That was God's mercy in his judgment. So we kind of see that play out here. Grace and mercy are, they go hand in hand almost. So I don't think it was wrong to say we saw God's grace within God's judgment because all mercy is God's grace, Mm -hmm. but not all of God's grace is God's mercy. Exactly. So. And if you're interested on the difference between God's grace and God's mercy, maybe we can talk about that one day because it was a, a hurdle to get it over was. for me. It was a whole discussion that we had had too about it, that basically mercy is not giving you something is, you right, deserve. Right, is not giving you something you deserve, whereas grace is giving, giving you, something you something you don't, don't deserve. deserve. It's a gift. Yeah. It's a free gift. Yeah, and 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 not giving you the punishment you deserve is God's grace. Yes. Exactly. So God's grace is God's mercy. Yeah. Innocence. Yeah. So at the end of Abraham's intercession, he says if I can find 10 righteous people, he'll save the entire city. Even though God knows that there are not there's not even 10 righteous people in these cities. Yes. So our God is a just God and with <laughs> With sin and destruction comes since comes words are hard. Yes, with sin and with sin and destruction comes God's judgment. Yeah, absolutely. So, 
And I, I, I say, discuss this. Our God is a just God. He is. He is because we were just talking about this in Bible study. Yeah. Last Tuesday. We we don't want God's justice. We don't. We want his mercy yeah. is what we want. There was a major theme throughout that whole thing was that we should never pray for God's justice. Yes. Because we don't want it. No, because we would all be condemned to hell forever and ever. Amen. Yeah. Because because we deserve it like that's what we exactly without jesus we would have no hope no hope yes and on that note i think that brings us to the end of our chapters for discussion today yes we'll pick up next week yeah what was our favorite verse what do we say our favorite verse was 18 14 yes genesis chapter 18 verse 14 is anything too hard for the lord there's more to that but that's the main part the whole verse is anything too hard for the lord at the appointed time i will return to you about this time next year and sarah shall have a son but really that first sentence is anything too hard for the lord no because there's nothing too hard for the lord and i think that his yoke is easy his load is light yeah exactly nothing is too hard for the lord so with that um, we will be going over Genesis chapter 19 through 21 in our next episode. So if you would like to do the reading beforehand and follow us along for that episode, it'll be up next Monday at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. So thank you so much for tuning in today's episode. We hope you've enjoyed the time we spent in God's Word, and we hope to see you next time. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.